Hi, I'm Sarah Grace McCandless, and this is On Brand, where we take a closer look at brands, their relationships with both business and consumer, and this growing desire for connection at every single stage of the journey. You know, one of the most important stages, of course, is that beginning stage, that stage where we make that buying decision. And what works and what doesn't at that stage has really shifted and pivoted. My guest today is a real expert in this field. I'm so excited to talk to her. Latney Conant is Chief Market Officer for Sixth Sense, and she is also the author of a best-selling book called No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls. We're going to talk about both Sixth Sense, her experience and career, and her book. But first, let's bring her on. Latney, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Great Hi. So glad you're here. I love seeing Chicago up there. That's where I was born. I'm a Midwest girl, um, born in Chicago, raised in Michigan. Um, but we're not here to talk about my background. Let's talk about your background. Can you tell us a little bit about your career, where you got started, and what led you to Sixth Sense? Gosh, well, it's been super roundabout. Uh, so, you know, I, I joke about being a recovering sales gal. <laughs> uh, so that was a stop. Uh, I was a consultant for a while in procurement randomly. And what's really ironic, because you mentioned the book, is I, I actually have a degree in accounting and got my CPA. And the reason that I went into accounting was I never wanted to have to, have to write. I didn't want to have to write a paper. What? <laughs> now you're an author. I yeah. love it. So, you know, you just can't, you can't put yourself in a box, I suppose, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, I I mean, but you know, what's funny is I was an English major. I identify as a writer, as one of my kind of core kind of groups and communities, but I love data because I think it also tells a story. So I think actually the two actually go hand in hand. So tell us about your, um, tell us about Sixth Sense and how you got to your current role. Yeah. So I, before Sixth Sense, I was at a company called Aperio. And Aperio's whole mission was to help companies revolutionize both their worker or their employee experience, as well as their customer experience using cloud technology. So I lived and breathed that for seven some years. And, you know, as part of our growth strategy at Aperio, we tested uh, an account-based strategy. And I followed all the rules uh, of that. I went around to sales and I said, what accounts should we do for account-based? And they gave me a list of completely random accounts that had nothing to do with one another. I call that the uh, potluck dinner of account selection, right? You get you got um, a sushi platter, a cheese ball, 10 grocery store veggie plates. You know, every every sales department is giving you some accounts to try to work with. And then we went really long on one-to-one -one and invested a lot of time and effort into, you know, really, really beautiful landing pages, be you know, customized content. I mean, the work was gorgeous. Uh, and the results were minimal. And it was so disappointing. And, and so, you know, fast forward to the future, I meet Sixth Sense and I look at what they're doing and I look at the insight-based approach, the data-based approach, understanding which accounts are actually in market, understanding what accounts actually care about. Um, 
using insights to select accounts, not just guessing and asking sales what they think, you know, a true market driven approach. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is going to change. This is going to change B2B. This is going to change uh, go, the go to market strategy. And I don't even know if it's ABM. I'm not sh- quite sure what it is, but I love it. And uh, and so that's kind of what what brought me to, to Sixth Sense was, you know, their capabilities to be able to uncover anonymous buying activity. You know, you opened up this talking about the early stages of a B2B buying journey. Well, guess what? Those are anonymous. They're not coming to your website. They're not filling out your form. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to understand that and understand those insights is critical to providing a good experience. Um, you know, six senses capabilities to, to pick up that data and then not just attach it to an account accurately, but also a cat attach it to persona. So you start to see a buying team. Cause that's the other really challenging thing about B2B is it's not just you're selling to people, but you're also selling to a buying team Mm -hmm. and they have their own interrelationships and convincing that needs to get done. So you have to be able to look at them and orchestrate a journey for them as a team, but also as an individual. And so that adds a lot of complexity. And again, that's where, you know, no one spreadsheet or database is going to be able to to help you. You know, you really need ML, AI, big data to be able to put all of this signal together. And again, understand the behaviors and patterns of the the individuals, but as, as well as the buying team. And then last but not least, like, you know, I talk about at Aperio, we, I was so proud of the work, but it was very manual. And, you know, we spent all this time doing research on these accounts, putting together these custom landing pages, custom ads to orchestrate one linear experience. Well, that's not the way the world works, right? And and I don't have no, I don't care how big you are or how much resources and, and dollars you have for marketing. It, that's just way too expensive. Um, and so to be able to use data and see patterns and see what accounts are interested in and dynamically serve the right ad or dynamically bring up the right content or dynamically bring up the landing page just blew my mind. Like, wow, so much more is possible than I ever imagined. And so, you know, that's really what we do is um, we give marketers and sellers and frontline BDR teams and sales leaders all of these insights about, about their customers and then the ability to orchestrate these awesome journeys. And today, if you want to compete and win, your experience is what's going to differentiate you. That's what what's going to stand out is um, is your experience. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I I love everything you just said, and I'm sitting here listening to you talk, and I'm thinking a couple of things. One, so much of what you're saying, this approach business to business, is is really parallel with the shifts that we're seeing in terms of business to consumer and listening and understanding and trying to uncover and create that picture. But two, I'm thinking about it from a personal standpoint. You talked about it being an individual, but then also that team decision. 
And I get approached a lot. Most of the stuff I get approached for has to do with um, digital conversation and engagement platforms, social media, messaging, you know, it might be review sites, um, social intelligence platforms. But I sometimes I'll get um, contacted by a salesperson and it's for a platform that has to do with HR, which is not in my purview, in my role. I certainly know the person he wants, he or she wants to talk to, but it's not me. And it feels like a misfire though, that they would even send that to me in the first place. Whereas I've also had situations where it might be sort of um, a, a tool that has to do with the consumer journey. It's not quite in my wheelhouse, but I see why they reached out to me and I'm much more apt to get them to the right person. And it's usually because of that personalization that came with that too. So, I mean, this really kind of feels like what you're speaking about, about that, that individual and that team mentality from a sales point. Is that an accurate reflection back of, of like an example? Uh, that, that is one. I, I actually like the word and it's, I know it's a little tomato, tomato, but, but I like the word relevance mm. because I think that, um, sometimes we think we're being personalized because we know their name, or maybe we know that they live in Chicago and like the Cubs and, and, and those are nice touches. Um, but really, I think in, in a B2B context, what gets you to act is relevance. And so what you're describing is they were relevant. They knew that maybe you weren't the decision maker, but they knew that maybe it was something that you cared about. And they knew that you would have a line to that decision maker. And so they made it relevant to you. And so when I think about relevance, there's really four pillars, I think, to being relevant. One is to understand that persona in their context of the buying team. Two, um, is this even a good account for you? And understanding the account, right? Industry, firmographic, demographic, you know, how is this like other people that have bought and been successful, right? From an account perspective. So it's persona, it's account, um, it's behavior. So what keywords do they actually care about? And if you have good intent data, you can actually see the keywords that are most relevant to that account and persona. And then the holy grail is timing. And, you know, and, and where are they in the journey? Because if they're early stage, you know, they're not, they might not want to demo. They're just, they're just trying to attach to a problem. Um, and if they're late stage, then, then maybe it's an RFP template, right? So, really understanding the timing is critical for relevance. So so those four factors to me are what come together to make an outreach uh, relevant. That's a great way to break that down. That makes total sense to me too. Um, it's just a fascinating um, field and, and everything that you're saying that Sixth Sense is doing, I think is really innovative. And I also wanna ask you, I mean, you just recently, the company just had some really exciting news in terms of funding evaluation. Can you speak to that? I can, I can. Yeah, I mean, it was an, you know, it was an interesting uh, process to, to go through. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, you know, what I found most interesting about the process and, and for those um, CMOs who have been through this before, you know that a huge part of the process is actually your customers. And it's not the customers that you give them to talk to. It's something called a back channel reference. And 
uh, and, you know, PE firms and investment firms and investors in general have armies of resources and analysts that just blanket the industry, uh, understanding your customers and, and, and why they use you and the value that they get. And if they're, you know, if, if they're going to renew, you know, the best way to really know how your customer base is doing is go through a funding round um, because they will surface what is really going on. And um, what was overwhelming and a big reason for, you know, there's lots of, lots of factors that go into evaluation and, and a fundraise, but what we heard time and time again across every single investor was the results of those customer interviews were top top decimal. Um, you know, we had one investor said it's the best they've ever heard. And, and this is firms that, they, you know, they, and they're like, we've invested in other companies, right? But this was consistently the best for the value customers are getting, how quickly they're getting value, um, and how really strategic and important this infrastructure and these insights that you're giving them um, are and that that was across sales and marketing teams across companies of of all different sizes. So, I would say that's that's the part of the process and and what the process brought out that I'm most proud of because it doesn't happen by accident. Uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about at Sixth Sense is it's it's great to have phenomenal software. It's but there's a lot of companies that have phenomenal software that got nowhere. Um, and so it really is about our, the, our customer experience. And it is about um, helping them. Like I, I talk a lot about we're not just selling software, we're selling change. Mm -hmm. And our market and our industry is ready, but it's scary. Change is hard. And this is a completely different approach. This isn't the 1990s inbound model. That doesn't work anymore. But people are used to that. And people understand how to report on an MQL and how to put up a form and gather MQLs. And that feels comfortable. And so how do we give our market, our industry, confidence, training, uh, process, plays, success metrics to get them to this, this next level of performance. Um, and the software is a huge catalyst for change. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's impossible to do a lot of the things that I'm talking about without it. Uh, but, but there's more to it. And so I'm really proud to work with a team of individuals and an ecosystem, honestly, of partners. We have a lot of partners that, um, you know, tech partners, as well as, um, consulting partners that are with us on this journey to help people really revolutionize their go-to-markets. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, and you know, a lot, it's more than just the technology and you certainly get a sense of that. Um, some of what are those aspects are in your book? I want to talk about your book. Okay. So I'm, for those who are visually watching, I'm holding up once again, if you've ever watched any of my other episodes, when I've had people who are on, who are authors, my post-it notes are back and there's a reason for it. Cause this is just a treasure trove of information and knowledge and strategy and insights here. You cover a lot of important ground in this book, um, including the concept and uh, role of the chief market officer. 
which is your title, um, not chief marketing officer. And I, I, you really go into this in the book. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the why behind this distinction and tell us more about the perspective on that. Yeah, so it, it's not something that I, I in, invented, um, but it's something that I'm, I'm adopted, I've adopted and I hope to live up to uh, every single day. And the concept was actually born out of a retreat that we do every year with B2B CMOs. It's all women CMOs. And, and this is the top of the top, the creme to the creme, the best B2B women CMOs out there. And we always talk about the role of the CMO. It's a difficult role. It's a misunderstood role often. And you can be a, a strategic CMO who's really driving the strategy of the company and, and the voice of the market, um, the voice at the table that represents the market. Um, or you can be what, what we call get caught up in the ing. And getting caught up in the ing, the market ing, the ing is getting caught up in, I wrote blogs, I got website traffic, I um, you know ran events. And the, these are all aspects of the job, but they're not necessarily the way you want to show up and, and lead with. And if you think about it, you know, you don't call the CFO the chief financing officer. And you don't say, well, how many invoices did you pay? And, and how many invoices got paid on time? And, um, you know, Mr. CFO, how many times do we successfully close the books? You know, that would never come up, right? Um, that, that's not how, how he or she shows up. And so why is it that we're showing up this way? And so the chief market officer movement is a call to, to show up as the voice at the table that represents the market, that represents your audience, that represents how you're shaping that market. Uh, because that's really what CEOs and investors and boards and successful companies need. If you think about what it takes to have a successful company, you need a product. You need to be able to sell and service that product. But you also need a market. <laughs> there has to be a market for what you sell. Uh, and and that is, that's ultimately, I think, the job that that CMOs, whether they call themselves chief market officers or chief marketing officers, um, but, but that's those are the shoes that we've got to walk and fill. It's a great explanation of that. You make such good points too. I'm sitting here nodding. I'm like, you're right. oh yes, that's exactly right. That that's a great comparison too to the chief, the CFO um, type role. Now there's another that another there's a lot of concepts in this book, um, but there was a strategic framework that you talked about. I love a good acronym. I, but my father was Navy. Um, so I grew up, well, he's also in the automotive industry, but he was Navy Reserve. So I grew up in an acronym household. Um, so tell me if I'm getting this right, but is it, v, do, do I spell it out? Is it V-T-M-O-M? It's V-2-MOM. V-2-MOM. See, I, I needed you to tell me this. I've done this before. Okay. V-2-MOM. Okay. I, I know what it means. I have it. It's one of my posties in here because I love the chart and how it breaks down. But can you tell uh, the listeners what is the strategic framework? Sure. And if anyone's ever worked in the Salesforce ecosystem or at Salesforce, um, mm -hmm. it's actually the strategic planning methodology that they use. Mm -hmm. um, and it stands for vision and values. So that's the V2. And then mom is 
methods, obstacles, and metrics. And I, the last company I was at, um, Aperio, we used V2Mom very, very successfully. And I've been, you know, advising companies, and and I found that um, a lot of companies have a great vision and mission statement, and it's, you know, it's their long-term what they want to do. But they have trouble breaking down what needs to happen this year or this quarter to grow into that bigger vision or mission statement. And and they have trouble doing that in like a somewhat agile and motivating way. Um, because you, you know, you don't want to rain down tasks on people, right? You, you want a kind of a, a strategy that people feel like they're part of and that the planning process they're bought into. And so I've kind of taken the, the V2 mom and, and I've adopted a little bit of it. I don't do obstacles. I do owner. Um, so there's a couple little things that I've I've changed along the way just in doing this so many times. Um, but I found it's just an awesome, awesome way to change the business. And, and that's really what it's about. It's what are the things that we've got to do this quarter or in the next six months or in the next year? Everything is time bound. Everything is prioritized. What are those big initiatives that we've got to do to um, to change the business? And you know, we, we've got clear owners uh, of each of those priorities and we've got, um, we've got great ways to measure it. And, and it's just a workshop that I, uh, have led exec teams through. I do it with my team every, every quarter just to keep, keep everyone on the same page. I think, um, kind of going back to the market versus marketing, it's easy for the marketing department to be a dumping ground of, of tasks and ideas. And, you know, maybe they're good ideas, maybe they're not not good ideas, you know, everyone has ideas about marketing, but every time you say yes to doing something, you're saying no to something else, because we all have a limited capacity. And so, you know, let's be strategic, let's be thoughtful about the things that we say yes to, and let's prioritize and make sure that the things that we're saying yes to are really going to move the needle. And so that's what... Um, the combination of V2 mom, knowing your ICP, or I say your in-market ICP, because those are the accounts that you're going to focus your campaigns on. And then in chapter four, I talk about a go-to-market plan, a quarterly go-to-market plan. Like those three things come together and provide a really good structure for a marketing team to be able to optimize capacity, essentially. Yeah, I love that. Um, V2Mom, that's my new favorite acronym now. Uh, and, you know, it's so funny when I started, there's so many in every industry too. I mean, certainly within the Sykes organization, when we think about customer experience, a lot of mine are around measurements and stats um, of effort or net promoter score or CSAT yeah. or whatnot, you know. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about the process of writing the book. I mean, you've mentioned that, you know, you, you yeah. were to avoid writing. Um, it's, I mean, this just really read, I felt like I was sitting and having a conversation with you over coffee or dinner. And that's my favorite kind of read, particularly when you come to a business sense of books, you know, it just really makes it very um, relatable. And I just wasn't able to embrace it so quickly. What was the process like for you, right? Working on this? Well, I, thank you for saying that. Cause that was a, like, I would say the big objective for me 
was um, not to be boring. <laughs> Definitely not boring. And, you know, I think there's a lot of books that have a lot of great theory and, and that's one kind of book, but I wanted a book that was very practical. And so when I see people with post-it notes and highlighters and they send me, oh my gosh, I'm putting this into practice. I love this template. That's that, like, that makes me feel like we really nailed it. Um, but the process was kind of interesting. So, so a couple things came together. Um, one, the, the original idea wasn't, okay, let's write a book, right? The original concept for the book was a project that, uh, and a, and a challenge that me and my team took on. And we took on this challenge of how do we set the standard for customer, what we're calling, you know, like prospect experience using our own solution, and again, I come from that world of Aperio, which was all about, you know, the age of the customer and customer experience. And, and then I got over to Sixth Sense and it was, you know, a lot of MarTech and sales tech and jargon. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, let's just take a breath here. And, and I told my team, I said, hey, let's apply customer experience to MarTech. And let's be, let's challenge ourselves to create a process that generates results and really good results, um, but doesn't use forms, spam, or cold calls. Mm. And if we can't do it, no one can do it. And so we set out to do that. And, um, and we kind of defined what a form, what we meant by that. And we defined, you know, what we meant by a cold call and, and we defined out, um, you know, what we meant by by spam, and and that relevance formula is something that's that's also in the book. And and so we we went and we did this for ourselves. And as we were out doing that for ourselves, I was coming onto shows like this, and I was in advising other companies, and I was talking to CMOS, and I was saying, oh, this is how we did this. Let me send you this template, and this is how this worked, and let me write this up. And I just found myself like rewriting the same thing over and over again. And so I was like, we just got to put this all in one place. Like, this is a great playbook. Um, let, let's, let's document what we did and put it out into the wild for people to, to learn. And again, kind of back to that concept of, I really do believe we're, we're igniting a change and, um, and that's very necessary. And people need resources to do that. And so our hope was always just to be able to, to document it and have the book really feel like a, a great resource. Um, you know, all of the money goes to charity. So mm -hmm. we have a whole arm called Good Sense. So we give a lot of books away, of course. And then um, for those who do buy it, thank you. It's it's going to a, to a good cause. Um, but that's really kind of the 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 genesis or the spark of the book. Now the process of writing it was was a little bit um, different. Let's just say a lot more work than you know. I think the best you don't do crazy things unless you're like a wild optimist. And I, I tend to be a wild optimist. And I think, oh, it's not gonna be a big deal. I've already written so many blogs on this. And again, I was saying like I've written a ton of emails. And I've got all the templates. It will just put put it all together. It won't be that big of a deal. <laughs> Um, come to find out it's, it's a little more intense than that, but, uh, I got through it a lot of weekends, um, 
but I got through it and I'm, I'm proud of, of what we were able to put together. Yeah, it is a different process for everyone. I mean, whether you're writing, my, I've written two novels or fiction. Um, I have a lot of friends who've written personal development, professional development books. Everyone has a different process there. It is uh, a labor of love, no matter what you're doing. Um, I love what you said about taking kind of this customer experience approach to MarTech. And I got to tell you too, you know, I in my role, and certainly at Sykes, I, I work with B2B brands and B2C brands. And generally, I'm helping to advise on engagement and kind of research at every stage of the journey, um, awareness, acquisition, support, and advocacy. And even though obviously this is a B2B space, I'm certainly thinking about how that applies in the conversations I'm having there. But I am, again, seeing this really lovely parallel um, between the two in terms of um, things that I can apply uh, from a B2C perspective. And it's a theme that keeps coming up in these conversations that I'm so privileged to have on this show. Um, and I love your angle and perspective on it. Um, I'm curious what are some of the, think it through, we've been through quite a year. 2020 was a banner year on a number of fronts. Um, what are some significant impacts or takeaways from your perspective? And that could be from the B2B space or maybe that CMO community as well. Yeah, so I mean, my jam is is B2B. Um, that's always been my jam. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in in the B2B marketing world, there is a slew of major trade shows, depending on it, whether you're in security or consumer products, or it doesn't matter. There's like a slew of of shows that you're expected to be at. And they're colossally expensive. And while, you know, COVID has been obviously horrible, I would say taking the uh, albatross that is all of these trade shows that we are expected to go to and have to go to off of our back has been incredibly freeing. And I think we've been able to do a lot of the things that we've been wanting to do for so long in terms of thinking about buying jobs and building out our digital experience and just investing in ways into our digital experience that, quite frankly, we wouldn't have had the resources to do. And that's been really, really incredible. Um, I think, and one of the things that we talked about on the, on the prep call is what happened for us, for me personally, was, was quite interesting. So, you know, we had this milestone of, of doing our first roadshow. And so the beginning of 2020 was our, was we had this piece of research and we were doing our first roadshow and we were hitting all these cities for breakfasts. And we're going along city to city, you know, three or four cities a week, getting CMOs together, having conversations, and then er, record scratch. You know, I remember the last one was in DC and it was like, mm -hmm. I don't know if we can, you know, do any more of these. So we said, well, we already have people registered. We're going to switch it to, to virtual. We'll send them Uber Eats. We'll send them a coffee mug. Um, you know, we'll try to make it as cool as we can, but it's going to be virtual. And 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 I said, and I think covering our research is going to be super weird. Like these CMOs are freaking out. <laughs> we should just talk about what they're doing and why we're freaking out and how we're handling it and what the comms plan is. And you know, we got to be in the moment with our audience. Yeah. 
And so we did that. And they were all like sharing ideas and 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 then it was like, okay, well, let's do that again. And let's do that again. And and what do we want to talk about next week? And let's send them a survey and ask what's top of mind, what what's most important for the next week, for the next week, for the next week. And fast forward, we've been at it a year. And it's two coffee talks, an East Coast time and a West Coast time every Friday. We've never missed one. Um, the survey goes out. People, it's whatever's most relevant to CMOs right now. We find an expert to kind of kick off the conversation, right? But then it's no rules and everyone's just sharing mm. what's going on. Um, and it went from, you know, that I think the the Boston um, remote, remote, first remote one we did with 30 some people to now it's, it's about, um, 700 CMOs that are part of this community and, you know, week in and week out, um, attending, uh, participating. It's now a Slack channel and it's just been really, really, um, meaningful to me to have a community to, to rely on. Uh, and I think that whether you're physically with someone or, you know, doing it in this more remote environment, we have a need to connect with other folks that are like us. We have a need to bounce ideas off of, you know, we have a, somewhat of a professional, you know, obligation to keep our sword sharp, uh, especially now as a, as a B2B CMO with so much changing. And wow, how lucky I have been to to have found this this great tribe of folks to to do all of those things, provide support, keep my sword sharp, uh, and and have some laughs. Oh, yeah, community. That's another uh, common denominator and theme in my conversations is the resurgence of importance there. Um, a couple of different angles. Uh, Latney, your 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 career and your perspective is so inspiring. Your passion is really visible and organic. And I think that that's also really key. Maybe a great way to sort of wrap things up. I I would love to hear, um, is there, have there been mentors or influences in your life, people that you've looked up to that have really um, fostered what is uh, a very contagious passion that you have? Well, so at our B2B CMO group, we, um, we brought a speaker in, Arlen, um, Arlen, and, and she wrote a book um, called It's About Damn Time. Mm. And she's an African-American lady who now has backstage, I think it's Backstage Capital is her VC firm that funds um, diverse companies. And it's a really successful venture capital firm. Mm-hmm. And so total inspiration, like total badass. And she... Talked about this concept of a confidence check. And for her, it was a physical check. It was someone who gave her $5,000 to start her fund. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think about that and I think about in a career, you know, a, a great career is a series of confidence checks. You know, people that have, that see you for something maybe bigger than you see in yourself, people that, put you into something that back you, that, you know, give you a confidence check, either a a real check or a job or, um, 
And I think I've had a couple great ones. Um, you know, one of the gentlemen I talk a lot about is a gentleman named Chris Heineken who um, pushed me to get into marketing and uh, from sales and, you know, pushed me to be a sales leader and then, you know, pushed me to um, keep, keep fighting to get the CMO job, right? Um, and and now has pushed me to be an advisor. And so you just always need those those people in your corner that say, you know, I, I think you're better than you think you are. Um, and so, you know, I think it's surrounding yourself with with those type of people and, and also the people on your team that, you know, you give confidence checks to, mm -hmm. you know, who and I think about that, like, who am I giving a confidence check to this this week or this month, because um, that's that's the role we can play now. And so I, I just love that framing of it. I love that perspective, especially that pay it forward mentality and this idea of surrounding yourself with people who can kind of serve as mirrors because, you know, listen, we all have our moments. We have good days and bad days. Maybe in those moments, we all have them, right? When we're maybe doubting our capabilities. So um, let me thank you so much for all the great um, insights. Love learning more about your strategy and philosophy. B2B is definitely your jam. It's very clear um, and just tremendous success in this field so far. Excited to see what comes next. Thanks for, for sharing with us. Thanks, Sarah.